There was a man who loved money more than anything. He worked all his life, and he just kind of hoarded everything that he had as far as money was concerned. And just before he died, he told his wife that whenever I die, what I want you to do is put the money in the casket. And he says, all my money I want you to put there. So she wound up promising that uh, she would do that. And he died at his funeral. Just before the undertakers closed that casket, his wife came up, put a box in the casket. The casket then was closed and taken away. Uh, the wife, um, there was a, a friend of, of the family there, and the friend came up to her and says, you know, I no, I saw you put the box in the casket, but I didn't really think that you put all the money in that box, right? And she goes, uh, well, you know, I promised him that I would put the money in the casket. And he's going, well, you mean to tell me that the, the money in the casket you put in there? I mean, that was, that was really the money. She says, yes. says, I wrote him a check. <laughs> there is a coming day when all of our accumulated wealth that we have is going to be just as good as that check. Yes. When, when the petals of the flower all fall off and wilted and died, our possessions are really going to be of no value to us, are they? We cannot trust in material things. So we, uh, we definitely we talk about money and possessions here today, the rich, the poor. The issue uh, of money has been a prominent one since uh, the book of Genesis. And uh, you can see it as it uh, works through the, the New Testament. And of course, Jesus spoke a great deal about, about the money situation. He has 38 parables, and out of 16 of them, they are concerned with money and possessions. Almost half of them. One of ten verses in the Gospels deal directly with money. One out of every ten. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer. There are 500 verses on faith. How many verses on money? 2,000. Wow. Um, give you more statistics here uh, done by George Barna. I don't know how accurate, but uh, anyway, 50% of Christians consider money the primary indicator of success. They think that's success. 19% of Christians believe you can tell how successful a person is, is by examining what they own. Wow. So you, you get a pretty good feel of how people judge people by really by the money and the, the things that they have. Uh, so that's what we are dealing with today. We uh, are in the book of James. We're going to be in James 1, 9 through 12. James has a great concern for his Jewish brothers who are Christians. And he's writing to those that have been spread out all over the, the known world. Um, he is going to give them wisdom, instruction, uh, encouragement. They need it. They're under tremendous stress. They are going through severe afflictions. The trials are heavy on them as many of them left Jerusalem. And where they went, it didn't get any better sometimes. And uh, we realize that James writes this to say, hey, I know you're going through trials, but I'll tell you what, God has a reason for this. And they're probably going at first, yeah, right. But they are to rejoice, and still they're going, yeah, right. And they're to rejoice as they endure through these trials. And as a result of it, it is to bring them to maturity, to a complete person. That's what they're about. And then it went on to say, and this is where we were at last week, that in case you don't know that and you haven't been convinced of that, he says, ask God for wisdom. Because He will always give you the wisdom so that you can understand at least the broad view of why there are trials and what the situation is. You may not understand, but yet you know that God is doing this ultimately for your good. So when you have that kind of understanding, I think it helps when we go through life. 
I mean, that is some real practical stuff. James is a practical book, isn't it? And from one verse to the next, it's not just a few things that are just thrown out there. And, oh, I forgot this. Boom, pop that in there. Oh, how about this one? They tie together. And so this thing about the rich and the poor, when you first read it, you go, whoa, we're talking about trials, and all of a sudden he goes into the rich and poor. Well, actually, uh, it ties right in with it. So think, think of the Jewish Christians who are spread out. They're getting persecuted. Uh, many of them have lost their homes. They lost their jobs. Well, you become a Christian, sometimes you can lose your family. So all of those things are happening. And you can imagine, they lost their possessions. They basically have the clothes on their back and that's it. That's, that's where they're at. Some probably had even been rich economically. Had a lot of money. Had a lot of things. Had big houses. Well, this is why our text, verses 9 through 12, is here for us to look at. Uh, James is not just throwing these verses out. He's connecting it with where he has been, and it does make sense. There's a flow here of this context. And the theme has already been trials. We've looked at that uh, during these first couple of weeks. Uh, And I think if somebody lost their possessions, they lost everything. I think that would be a trial, wouldn't it? I think that would be a heavy affliction <laughs> that could be on one. And you, you have to feel for anybody that, for anything like that that would happen. We've heard of people losing their homes by a fire, for instance. And, of course, uh, hopefully the community and the churches get together to help them uh, recover out of that. Uh, but we, we think about this, but that life is not about material goods, and we can lose it in a moment. But life is... Christ, isn't it? Christ alone. So James talks to the poor people. And he doesn't stop with that. He talks to the rich people. And then we see that uh, when it comes down to it, there's hope for any kind of people, whether you're rich or poor. There's the hope. So do you see how this section now fits in with where we have been and where we are going? Um, we talked about the wisdom last week, and here I think we have James just speaking of wisdom abounding in uh, how you handle this. There's a contrast here between permanent and what is eternal versus the perishable, which will die out, which will burn up, right? There is quite a contrast in what we see here as we look at it today. Uh, until we really are enlightened by this kind of thought, and we see this kind of distinctive here, we will not handle trials very good. And uh, we, uh, if we were to ever get persecuted, we wouldn't handle that very good. And so if we get caught up in the world's pursuit, and what I'm saying is pursuit of wealth, pursuing that, that's what your life is focused on, and that is the key to happiness, well, we have news for ourselves that's not going to be it, is it? So, you know, and by the way, we'll miss God's blessedness that He gives us. True blessedness. True happiness. If we center on eternal riches, which will last forever, and know that these will never ever be taken away from us, no matter the circumstance. Eternal riches are always there. And what He has given us will be there for eternity. But um, and even through death, you know, he, we know that we will move right on into uh, in the presence of Christ Himself. So James speaks of the poor Christian, then he speaks of the rich Christian, and then he finally he just offers hope to all who will persevere through the trials. So let's stand and let's read this text this morning, verses uh, nine through twelve in chapter one. But the brother of her humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because, like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Father, 
we want to get your perspective this morning, as we always do. We know what the world says about certain topics. We know what the world says about money, riches, wealth. But yet we want to look at your truth and see what you have for us and how we're to handle what you have given us in this time that is allotted. So give us wisdom today. Help us to see things the way that you see. In your Son's name, Amen. Amen. Well, the first one we're going to look at, the poor are rich. Now that's, that's what sounds strange to, to most people. That's a paradox, isn't it? And all throughout Scripture we get paradoxes. And what that does is kind of levels the playing field between the rich and the poor. Because usually the rich are way over the poor people, right? And so when you get to the church... It's not supposed to be the way the world is because we're all equal in God's sight. So he says that the poor are rich and the rich are poor. So we, And then we, we look at the, uh, the world's distinctions. Now, when you look at this, we can take these two extremes and totally make them to be something that they're really not. Um, we, we must be balanced in Scripture. He doesn't uh, advocate some kind of uh, forced or some kind of voluntary redistributing of the wealth that we hear of so often in the political realm, especially on the uh, the very liberal side. Uh, we're not talking about that, even though we see whenever people are in the book of Acts and they're in need, we see the early church helping other people out. And, uh, of course, that is the way the church works. But uh, the the world has the rich up here and then the poor are really insignificant. Yeah, we'll take care of the poor people, you know, um, but it's uh, not the way that the biblical aspect is. Um, In James chapter 2, for instance, which uh, we'll be in before too long, it says in chapter 2, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Because the world will lift up people and put other people down. Well, here's the perfect example. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? So... That's the way the, the world looks at that. And of course, the church evidently was guilty of that same kind of thing. And of course, that's, that's one thing. Um, also, uh, I think um, what the, uh, the church, the American church, is very guilty of is a heresy which has spread to other countries, uh, other countries where you know, there's a lot of mission work doing. And James doesn't say here that the poor brother is to claim his Cadillac by faith or his jet airplane, the Learjet by faith. You know, that name it and claim it and the health and wealth heresy is an absolute perversion of God's Word, especially if we look at the book of James, but you can look anywhere in Scripture just claiming something and saying, that's mine, and uh, you know, demanding God that uh, He give that to you. That, those are false promises. Those are false. So that's another extreme that, that uh, you know that the the world has done. And uh, so you know we we don't want to take things too far either way. But we look at this theme of the rich and and the poor, and it's woven all throughout James. It's woven throughout all the scriptures. And what he does, he draws on the teaching of the Old Testament as he often does. He'll boy, you know that James knew the Proverbs. <laughs> Boy, did ever did he ever draw from there, and uh, we know that he uh, draws from his half brother Jesus, in uh, quoting from uh, what we would see in the Gospels or something thereof. So look in chapter one, well, well, verses nine through eleven we've already read. Chapter two, one through seven we read there, right? 
In 15 and 16, he continues on with that theme. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, I mean, these are necessities. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith that has no works is dead, being by itself. So, again, he, he touches on this theme, this issue here. In chapter 5, well, chapter five uh, verse 1, speaks to the rich. Now, come, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So there we have James really concerned about how the uh, rich were oppressing other, the people that had worked for them. They worked and worked out there in their own fields and then they really they just didn't pay them. You ever heard of that? That's incredible. Or would pay him very little. So James really has this in this um, letter that he wrote. So you can see he's writing to the poor, writing to the rich. Um, what is God's concern for the poor? Uh, just draw from the Old Testament. Let's go back to the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's go back to the law. What's the law say? What does God say? Deuteronomy 10.18. For this is his law, isn't it? Deuteronomy 10.18 But if you shall remember the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, for it is he who is giving you, giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Here that we say, he's the one who gives you power to make wealth. Some make a little, some make more, some make a whole lot. And there, you know, he's speaking favorably of it, but it all comes from him. And he gives you the power to be able to do that, to, to get the job that you have, to be able to pay uh, the bills. That was in Deuteronomy 10:18. That wasn't the right one. That was a good verse, wasn't it? That's what I meant. Okay. Well, I meant that one, but uh, 10.18 is what I read here, and so we go to that one. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. God takes care of the people. He gives them what they need. God does that. I was in Deuteronomy chapter... Was I in uh, 8... Eight eighteen, and then there's ten eighteen. Yeah. I have an underline here of Deuteronomy ten eighteen, but then I also have the Deuteronomy eight. Okay, sorry about that. But we like both of those, right? And there we see that God is doing it right. He's the one. The reason that we have the clothes on our back this morning is because He allowed us. He gave us the power to be able to buy these, to get them, however it took. You know. Um, so, um, and you can say, well, somebody gave this to me. Well, that's great. He gave the power for somebody else to give it to you. And they didn't, you know, whatever. <laughs> Might have been a gift or whatever. Well, we know because... Are you still in your Deuteronomy 10.18? Or did you turn already like I did? In 10.19, chapter 10, and it's not in chapter 8... <laughs> He says, after he says that God takes care of the orphan and the widow and he shows his love, he gives them food, gives them clothing, so show your love for the alien, the, the foreigner, um, the one who is even in need. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt and I provided for you there and I provided the way uh, when you were going to come out but of Egypt. 
So he says, I always took care of you. You take care of the people. So God has a concern, definitely. God's people are to have the concern. We just read that in James there uh, earlier in James 2. So um, that's how we're to do. Now, often in Scripture, you'll see where the poor are actually associated with the righteous. And so are we saying, hey, if you're poor, then you're considered righteous. Well, we can't take that too far, can we? We, we know better. We know about balance. But in the Beatitudes, the very first Beatitude, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Bless, you're blessed. You are blessed if you're poor. And really there, that's, that's talking about without resources. No resources. And I know there, there definitely can be a physical sense to that. that that's a promise to people that um, are in great need. Uh, Leon Morris said, Jesus is not blessing poverty in itself. That can as easily be a curse as a blessing, right? It is His disciples of whom Jesus is speaking. And He's talking about the learners, the people that followed. People that followed Christ in the crowds and everything. They're poor. They know they're without any kind of resources. They rely on God and they must rely on Him for they have nothing of their own on which to rely. The rich of this world often are self-reliant. They're really not, but they think they are. Not so with the poor. So, you know, poverty can be an advantage over wealth in the sense that one really sees their need. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. They have no spiritual resources. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about. This is, this is dealing with eternal matters. But it can be also people who have uh, no resources. And God just meets the needs and He pours out His spiritual blessings for all who call upon Him. So that's one thing. The poor are associated with the righteous. Blessed are the poor, you know. And then he talks about uh, righteousness and such as we go on through the Beatitudes. Then, there, you know, we think of the wrong assumptions. You know, we um, think, well, okay, the Bible automatically, as we've been talking about, uh, identifies the poor as being righteous and the rich as being wicked. And that's not uh, always the truth there. The, the poor people can be tempted by wealth. And they can covet. The poor people is tempted by poverty and he devotes himself to the pursuit of wealth. Poor people can have the same kind of desires the rich people have. Even more so. And so that can be a temptation to pursue wealth. We're talking about pursuing wealth. That's what you want. That's what you live for. That's, that's all that matters. Uh, or they can feel neglected by God and God doesn't take care of me. And, and so now all of a sudden God becomes uh, one who is not on your side. We don't think that He's going to take care of certain people. But um, you can think of the wealthy people in the Bible. I think of several. Um, Job was actually a, a very rich man. Uh, we, th- we think of David. King David, of course, as a king, very wealthy. And you think of another guy, uh, maybe the richest man in the world that's ever lived, as Solomon. Of course, he had a lot of wisdom, and then we saw how he misused everything that he had too. And, uh, Zacchaeus, you remember Zacchaeus? And the tax collector and the house that he lived in and had a, a, a great banquet and feast there and he invited his friends, the tax collectors, and he invited Jesus to come on in there. And so we see that um, that throughout the Bible also uh, shows that there are wealthy people. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. It's a blessing that uh, God would give wisdom to certain people who have money to use it correctly. And uh, I think poverty can sometimes result from one's own responsibilities and they don't care of it. Sometimes poverty can result out of laziness. Just, you know, sin it could be. So that, that's a sin. So we're drawing this back and we're saying, boy, we're really getting down on the poor man now here, right? 
but we see so many verses the opposite. So we want to make sure that we draw this in and we kind of get a kind of a more complete understanding of how God presents that. Anyway, we we know that, but um, so uh, if we looked it through the Proverbs, we could we could see some things. Let's let's go there. I think James is probably maybe thinking of these a little bit. Proverbs um, three sixteen. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. So God bestows riches and bestows honor. Uh, chapter 10, verse 4 of Proverbs. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So some people can be poor because of their own selves. They don't work hard. They have opportunities, but they don't care, and they're negligent in, in, about their work. The people who uh, work hard, God does reward. He meets your needs. You're able to, to pay the bills. You're able to get some things that um, that are needed, maybe even wanted. Chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. In all labor there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. Some people would rather not work. They'd like to sit around and just, you know, think of things. And um, the thing is, uh, if if they don't do what they're supposed to do, then they will be in poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the folly of fools is foolishness. And so we see this throughout. Look in Proverbs 13, verse 8. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But the poor hears no rebuke. Um, Same chapter, look at verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Chapter. uh, That's. You get the idea. (laughs) It's a lot of Proverbs. We can keep on reading here, but. um, So we go back to our text. And he says, but the brother of humble circumstances. Humble. Humble circumstances. The word there is kachamai um, or uh, tapianas. I'm sorry. Wrong one. It's going to be connected with the the next word. Um, And they sound like opposites. But the word there, you don't hear too often, but it's one who is uh, in a low position. They're economically humiliated. You know, that's that's the people of low degree. People would tend to even look down on them, the, the lowly brother. This is a poor person, and he's very low on the economic scale. But it's not necessarily because of a lack of discipline or lack of hard work. He might be one of the hardest workers that that uh, is at the job. But he's low in the world's standards. Uh, prestige he doesn't have the way that the world will look at it. So that's the idea of humble circumstances. So we, we look at the way that God defines things versus the way that the world looks and we take the things that the world looks and we say, ooh, well, I can't hang on to that kind of thing. That's, that's, that's uh, not true. Um, then he says, but the brother of her humble circumstances, and here's where he does a flip-flop, is to glory in his high position. He's in a low position, but he's actually to glory in his high position. The poor are actually rich. He's talking to belie- about believers here. These people are poor, and it might be because of the trials that have come on and the persecution. It could be for any number of reasons, but he is to really see himself in a high position. It's dealing with joy, or it's dealing with boasting, but a good boasting. In this case, it's it's a legitimate pride. You know, there there is a a pride that is evil and wicked, and we we want to cut away our pride. But this is kind of what this word means here: to glory in the high position. James directs that poor man to the thing that he needs to see. He needs to see that he is in a very high position, and it's referring to his spiritual wealth. And I mean. This is really this is where everything starts. We first start to see where we're at spiritually. And when he became a Christian, he instantly became the heir of vast fortune. No matter where you at on the economic scale, you 
are absolutely loaded. I mean, you have fortune. Great wealth in Christ. Instantly, that's what happened. You became a child of the King of Kings. Think of that. The King owns everything. Not just one country, but a whole universe. And we have access to all of the King's possessions and resources. However that much that is, it's endless. Isn't that amazing? That starts getting us into the right perspective. So, you know, when you think of Paul, in Ephesians 2.6, he takes like the believer and he says they're seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 1 shows our spiritual wealth, our riches. Ephesians 1 just takes everything up so many notches we can't even imagine where he's put us. And in Ephesians 2, he says how dead we are naturally in our sin. And then he comes to verse 6 and he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ alone is where we are seated. In the heavenly places. We sit right here as we live in the world, but spiritually we are actually seated right now in the heavenly places. He gives us access to Him. Now that's that's something, isn't it? And that's really what He's saying. I want you to glory in that high position. So if you feel poor today, and everyone sitting in this room, I can tell you, none of you are poor economically. Now, but you compare it to standards, and you say, well, I'm pretty well on the low end. <laughs> yeah. But actually you're not. Because as we know, if we, if we compared ourselves to the rest of the world, what, what are we? We are just loaded. Wow. I want to tell you, glory in these precious truths. Because sometimes you can say, oh, I don't have this and I don't have that. And boy, it's, you know, cars are all broken down. And this thing is happening. I don't have the money right now to do all this. And so you have the skeptics who can come along and start mocking James and mocking the Bible and uh, give their own advice. And they say, well, what good is it to tell a poor man about he has all this glory in these spiritual truths in Jesus Christ? He's still living in a shack and he has ragged clothes on and he, he doesn't even eat every day. He has meager meals when he does. Well, that comes from a materialistic mindset. We start thinking, there's reality to this, and James addresses that. And of course, when we see somebody that has a condition, we're not supposed to say, oh, be blessed, brother, you know, and then send them off on their way. Uh, we are to be there to meet those basic needs. And, and uh, every human heart has a basic need of the spiritual matters. Every heart is not the heart is not concerned about material things here individually. James goes on to say that true faith will will supply a poor brother and and and, and meet the basic necessities. That's in chapter two. But the way that we we still look at it, at it, we are to be boasting, boasting in Christ. Let's look at a few boasting passages because most of the time we're told that we are to uh, be humble. And here he says you have a humble circumstance, but I want you to glory where you're really at. Well, that's that's kind of different, isn't it? That's what James says. So let's look in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul wrote something of the same kind of theme. Just glorying in the position that we've been given. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 20. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, you as Christians, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. He's talking about from one extreme to the other extreme and he says, whatever God owns, You own it too. And you belong to Christ. Christ 
What? What? Belongs to God. The triune God is perfect in the relationship that they have and everything that belongs to God belongs to Christ. And everything that belongs to Christ, we are co-inheritors with Him. And He says all belong, all belongs to, to us. Even right now. That's an incredible thing. And so He says, so then let no one boast in men. But here's what we have to boast about. Christ Himself. Christ, where He's put us in our position that we have. Okay, let's go to Romans 8. No, no, you're still in Corinthians? Go to 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Everybody knows this one. How many times have we read this one? This is encouraging. Consider your calling, brethren. Consider it. Really, Hey, think on this. Really ponder on this that there were not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich that are in the body of Christ. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. See these paradoxes through here? There's the way the world thinks, but here's the way that God thinks. So that no man may boast before God, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts... Boast in the Lord. So there's another time where we are told to boast in the Lord. The Lord our God. We Don't we sing a song about let not the rich man boast in his riches? Let not the wise man... Kind of out of 1 Corinthians here, chapter 1, and from other places. And and then we have we have an Old Testament quote here in... Verse 31. That's out of Jeremiah 9.23, I believe. So, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, that's that's the true boasting. It's only Christ. We can say, look what He's done for us. It sounds like we're... Yeah, yeah. Look at all the riches we have. It's in Christ. He's the one who has it all. He's done it all. Boasting. Galatians 6. 14, oh, no, no, no. Go to Romans 8.17 first. Oh, I like this one. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit convincing you and telling you that you are a child of God. And then He says, if you're truly indeed, if you're children of God, are you ready for this? He's saying, heirs also. And He's saying, okay, we're heirs. And then He says, heirs of God. Of God. Heirs of God. People who inherit Something from God. And fellow heirs with Christ. It doesn't get any better, does it? If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Oh, that sounds like James, doesn't it? Paul and James are not at odds. Regardless of how many people in church history have actually said that James shouldn't be in the New Testament because he disagrees with Paul's writings. How many times do they actually they agree? They always agree because it's God's Word. It's just how people in, have interpreted it. But um, salvation is totally from God and it begins with His sovereign choice. And He brought us out of a cesspool of sin. That was poor. Dead in our sins, right? And then there's only one thing I can do. He's done it all. I just glory and boast in the Lord for what He's done. We have a high position with God, don't we? People can be the the filth, the off scourging of the world, and here He says you can rejoice. You are exalted. Some translations will use that instead of glory. There, exalted in, in spiritual status. 
we are exalted. We need to rejoice in our exaltation. Uh, one may be hungry, but they have bread of life. One may be thirsty, but they drink of the water of life. One may be poor, but he has true riches. He may be cast aside by men, but he's received by God. And so there are all sorts of things that we can be deprived of. And there can be human humiliation. There can be lowliness. And he says rejoice. The position before God is enough. MacArthur goes on to say, accept that humiliation because poverty is a short-lived trial. All those who are poor and in Christ have the hope of eternal riches. In other words, don't look to draw joy out of this world. And if you do, you'll be disappointed. But if you are not looking to draw joy out of this world, even though we are to rejoice while we're in the world, but the things of the world will not uh, give us that happiness, we won't be disappointed. You know, we can become disappointed because certain things don't go the way that we'd want. You know, if we're looking for happiness in certain circumstances, um, we're not going to have joy in that. You know, the the happy, gleeful thing. You know, and but we are to have joy in in all things. But look at the uh, the earthly possessions He actually has given us. Boy, a time of Thanksgiving. If you if you started going through all the things that He's blessed you with, besides just food and water and clothes and shelter, which are the things you need, and then all the other things that He gives us. We could just go on and on the rest of the day if we really, really started thinking about it. So this, I think, says, hey, accept the humiliation that you have as a Christian. Keep your focus on where it ought to be and realize that the spiritual realities, they are eternal riches and they are the most precious. So let's go to our next verse in James we looked at the poor. Let's look at the rich. So the poor man is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. You can say, what humiliation? Rich guy has a different kind of problem. A rich guy starts to worry about keeping everything that he has and not losing it. Everything that he has amassed, he's afraid that he, he can lose it. That's a scary thought. The rich brother is to rejoice when he's made low. How about when the stock market crashes? How about when it crashed back in the, you know, we think of the, the 20s, 30s there. There were a lot of people that took their lives. Because that, their whole life was that about you, we we have seen uh, pictures where people have jumped out of the thirty uh, stories high or higher, just jumped out because that to them was their whole life and they had nothing else and they'd never recovered. They they went to desperate measures. Um, that's not what life about is about, isn't it? Uh, the people like this that James is writing to, they some of them were very rich. They were very blessed. They're believers. And they lost everything all of a sudden. And they you really don't are not called here to rejoice in your possessions anyway. You shouldn't have any hope in that particular position just because you're rich and you have that. I mean it's nice and makes things easier and comfortable. But he's saying, let him rejoice when he's humbled. Humility can be a good thing for the spiritual life. So some of these people were in humiliation. They had all the world's goods. They were Christian at the same time. And he says, glory in that humiliation that you have now. And it's interesting. One can have an amount of prestige when they own things, when they run things, they have everything in control and people will lift them up high because of that. But it's interesting, when you come into the family of God, when one becomes a Christian, 
Now, people can still play favorites, and that's why James wrote that aspect about favoritism in chapter 2. But really, once you become into the family of God, we all are on an equal basis. Everybody has now a humiliation in that sense, a humbling circumstance. It's humbling for a real rich man and a famous man to get on the same level as one who is a nobody and just talk and speak with them and, and, and just like they're on the same level. Uh, no games being played or anything. Usually the rich person won't give the time of day to somebody who is not of their same caliber. You know what I mean? Matter of fact, when there's somebody around, you don't even feel like you even want to be around because you don't quite fit the the kind of position that they're in. And all of a sudden, these Jewish Christians lost it all and they are in a humiliation. And they're in with the body of Christ. They're all in this together. That's a path to spiritual maturity now for these people who were rich money-wise and now are not. Because they can glory in the fact that they have the same glory that the poor person has in that um, they are seated in the heavenlies. They are in a high position. And that's all they're counting on. They are now counting on God for everything. It's easy to say, thank you, Lord, for the things there, but you know, when one is in a dire need, they tend to cry out to the Lord more than they would if everything is just going smooth. And so that's why it can be a good thing in that way. Um, The wealth this man had really pertains only to this life, and it's a fleeting life at that, isn't it? And money will fade away when the game is over and the king and the pawn are going to go right back into the box, aren't they? Rich man's mansions and all the properties and the holdings and the stocks and the portfolios, they'll mean nothing when he's in the grave. It's just for this little time period and nothing wrong with that. Those can be very helpful and we can use that in the right way. But uh, he's not to follow the way the world does in his riches. He must glory in his humiliation. Look in James 2, verse 2. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down on the footstool. We read that earlier. We see that now in the body of Christ, we see that we are all to be watching out for each other. And there are dangers in, in riches, aren't there? Think in, in Timothy, when Paul wrote Timothy, in First Timothy chapter 6, evidently there were people who um, were very well off. Some of them just sought after the riches, like would be a natural thing to do. First Timothy 6 verse 9 Good verse for this. But those who want to get rich, that's their pursuit. That's what they're about. Fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then that famous verse. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now these are like believers here. And we see the danger here. The ones who want to get rich, that's what they're about. That's what they're after. They love the money. They wander from the faith. And you can see why blessed are the poor in spirit. Because they know their need from God. So that's one reason why that that can be that way. Um, Proverbs, we have same kind of uh, thoughts, same understanding there. Well, let's take ourselves and put ourselves into the rich because I don't think we can say that we're poor because I think everybody here has a house to live in. You have running water, 
and you have food, you're still living, you have breath, and so God has met those needs. And then we find out, yeah, well, we have a few other things. Well, you can go into your clothes closet and find out you have actually something you could probably wear every day of the week and be have something different. <laughs> if not the next week and the next week and the next month, and <laughs> right? And nothing wrong with that. But, right? So I think it would be safe to say if we compare it to the rest of the world and the third world countries by the world's standards in that sense, I think we have to qualify as rich. Even though, but I don't have this, I don't have that, I've got these bills I have to get paid for, and I don't have the money coming in to do it. But we own our own homes. Matter of fact, I think most of us have either uh, cell phones, computers, TVs, you know, gadget after gadget after gadget. And we may not have any money in the bank, but we're living actually pretty comfortable. You know, uh, most families even own more than than one car. And like I say, our, our our closets are just bulging out, and we have so many clothes. But there are people who live in the world, and we're talking uh, many people who live in crowded shacks, and they have no indoor plumbing, they have no electricity, no uh, running water, no no clothes except what they have on their backs. So, as we look at um, our James passage, I think we would have to say, okay, I think we fit in verses 10 and 11. (laughs) If we want to take it down to this aspect, say, well, where do I fit in? I feel like I feel like that poor person. Well, in a sense, you were poor in spirit, right? But you're really not poor economically. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation. We, we really have to, I think we have to see the vanity in what the world has and all that it offers. I think it's futile. As a matter of fact, when we get out and we get something new, have you ever noticed the new wears off pretty quick? <laughs> then we're ready for the next thing. And, uh, you know, it's going to be gone sometime. You want, Remember the, the, the show uh, The Rich and the Famous? Remember that one? Or entertainment tonight, and you see all the Hollywood actors, and it seems to, to the world that's what they want to be. They want to be those people, and all the the, the celebrities. They're they're you know they they want the glamour, they want the the uh, the fame, they want all the money that goes with that. That's a normal person. That I mean, that is the flesh. It wants that. It sees that, and so uh, all of a sudden, people are doing breaking the tenth commandment. You know, wanting what's not yours, coveting. But, but people would say, that's the kind of life I want to live. And Christians need to be thinking like this. That's tragic. That is really sad. That's the best that they're going to get in this life if that's what their life is about. These li- uh, people are living for vanity. It's emptiness. There's nothing there. And so they go on from one thing to another thing. And they're seeking something. But they really don't know what it is. And it turns out to be Christ Himself. Christians, I think, we need to see what true wealth is and happiness. True true wealth is being able to know God. Or better, He knows us. And because He knows us, He loves us. And then we then love Him. We know Him. True honor is to be a servant a slave of Christ. That's what we want. Um, in Psalm 49.12, Psalm 49 just mocks the rich man You know that has the wrong view of money. He congratulates himself. He names his lands after himself. And he thinks that his fame will endure forever. And in Psalm 49.12 it says, But man in his pomp will not endure he is like the beasts that perish. Man's not going to endure. The things that he has are not going to endure. The believers have this. Look at this. Boy, this is a great promise. This gives us great promise. Great comfort. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Probably sounds familiar. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable 
and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. This treasure, it's reserved. It's not ever going to get old, fade away. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the future salvation. That's glorification there. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You see, Peter is writing to like some of the same folk that James is writing to. The ones who were really going through persecution. Quite the trials. And he says, hey, Rejoice in what you have. You're rejoicing in that, aren't you? When you think of heaven, you think of all... And really, heaven is about Him. It's not what we're going to get as far as these things. And and, and we do. We'll we'll be inherited of that. But it's really the person of Christ that we're excited about. Eternal life. He says, you rejoice in that. But right now, it's just a little while. It's temporary. If it's necessary, you you know. Okay. Earthly stuff. It's like flowering grass, isn't it? We'll go back to our James. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off. The beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fall away. Part 3. Rich and the poor. They endure... They get the crown. They get the crown of life. Happiness. Just the happiness and the joy. The fun, fun that we have. You know, it's momentary emotions. And, it, and it's good to have that. But blessedness refers to a condition that will last for eternity. It will go on. And... Um, you know, it's talking about persevering. We've, we've seen that in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We talked about endurance. And then you see it here in this section. And then in verse 12, like where we're at next week, again you see persevering, persevering under trial. That's why all this context is just all put together. Um, a Christian actually can become, I guess, proud of how poor he is for the sake of the kingdom. <laughs> The rich can be proud over how God has blessed them. They, they still have the same thing. And He wants people to develop humility. And James is after that. We'll see that through the book of James and what true humility is. And Peter wrote about humility. You know, the riches of this world, they are absolutely worthless in light of eternity. I mean, they really are worthless. It's only when we believe in Christ that we see that, hey, these riches that we have here are good. God gives, and we can use those for His glory. That's what's great about it. And whether it be for what He's given us to, to live this life and be able to share it with other people, you know, that's, that's a joyful thing. And, uh, but they're not going to last forever. The crown of life, and that crown of life there is, uh, is a crown is Stephanos. And that was the wreath, the, the crown that, uh, in as far as the athletes were concerned of the day, running in their Olympics, they would get this Stephanos, this wreath, a victor's wreath in the athletic contest. And so James just applies that, uh, that kind of thought and um, glorying in, in the humiliation that we have. And he's saying, what's going to happen here? It's just like the flowers and it's just going to fall off. And um, verse 12 then says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Probably touch more on this next week, uh, and that will go into the rest of the part. But right there, that brings it up and and into summary there. Uh, The crown of life really is referring to eternal life uh, that we'll enjoy forever. We will delight in everything that God gives us. All things. It's a God's gift of grace. Eternal life. You might expect there that James says that the crown of life which the Lord has promised...
to those who persevere or those who obey. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. But this crown of life is going to be for everybody. It's, it's eternal life. And it deals with the love of God. It's which the Lord has promised those who love Him. If you're a Christian, you love Him. In First John, he says that if you don't love others, then you don't love God. If you don't love God, then you know he. You know the the thing is here. If if we don't love Him, we don't know Him. If we know Him, we love Him, and He He pours that love into us to do that. Love for Christ is the necessary motivation. And if you're a Christian, you have that. You love Him. You you want to serve Him. But especially when times come that can be hard, it could be persecution and realize that look at what He has given me to endure this. And so we want to examine what kind of quality of of love do I have for Christ. I want to have more and more. Uh, Actually, the love that you have is, is, is enough for Him because He pours it out, but we want to be able to use that in our lives for Him. Let's pray.